We're gonna. It's a me, Jennifer. <laughs> I ruined the Christmas by being an overbearing oh, bitch. How are you Hey, maniacs. <laughs> it's Midsummer Maniacs. At home quarantine edition number two. Wait a minute. It's always the at home edition. Well, that's true because we record at home. It just hasn't been self- social isolation edition. In our lovely yellow recording studio. <laughs> I have officially been in the house uh, except for walks since March 15th. Yep. Uh, I am the designated goer outer yes <laughs> so i uh, i get bundled up in shorts and a t-shirt and go outside <laughs> and go buy the things and get the things get the stuff yes pharmacy grocery store all that good stuff yes if you're listening for the first time this is midsummer maniacs a podcast dedicated to the itv series Midsummer Murders. Each week, we dig into an episode of the show, including the murders, the mayhem, the loonies, and everything else we love. Just to let you know off the top, if your children are okay with people talking about bonking, they're probably going to be okay with this episode. (laughs) Uh, I don't know about you. I'm feeling a little bit slap happy. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Yeah. (laughs) Because this week we're looking at Ghosts of Christmas Past, Episode 7, Series 7. It's bad enough being in isolation and trying to figure out what day it is. Because a Monday through Friday job just isn't a thing for me anymore. It's kind of just every day doing stuff for work. So the day of the week is so inconsequential right now. And then you add on top of that talking about Christmas. Yes. In April, March is just... Double strange. Yes. But it's also kind of a nice break. It is. It is. If only this was a more actually festive episode. (laughs) Well, so. It's like how not to do Christmas. There is a tradition (laughs) in British television of doing Christmas episodes. They're shown either on Christmas Day or, or right around Christmas Day. Doctor Who does this. And there's been several Christmas specials for different shows. This is the first Midsummer Christmas episode. They went seven seasons before they thought, maybe we should do a Christmas episode. Let's make it the most depressing Christmas episode ever. Yes. I gotcha. (laughs) Let's show a really, really dysfunctional family doing it completely wrong. Exactly. Awesome. Oh, It's Midsummer. (laughs) Never mind that some people die. Well, not too many people die. We get that contrasted with the Barnaby's Christmas traditions. Which are strange in themselves. At least to us. Yes. (laughs) This episode is filmed January and February 2004 and then broadcast on Christmas Day 2004. So they it sat in the can for a whole year. Now, I think the reason why this is the very first Christmas episode is it's only got 6.9 million viewers. I, their viewership went way down. It's just not as much as they would usually get. I just don't think people want to sit around on Christmas Day and watch an hour and a half of... 
Murder. Murder. Unless you live in this house, because... That's all we do. Well, no, not this house. The house the, the, in the episode, because the the movie that uh, Howard wants to watch and that Scott is watching, that it's, it's a Halloween movie. Yeah. <laughs> and there, there's also a little controversy about what season this episode is actually in, right? So it's... It's either the seventh episode of season seven. Yes. Or the first episode of season eight. Or some analogous weird episode in the middle, which is kind of what it is. Which is fine. But every website I look at seems to have a different label for it. Because it has Scott, it's really the middle of Scott. It doesn't really matter what season it is. It's either seven or eight because those are the Scott seasons. It's just mid-Scott. Mid-Scott. Okay. That's what we'll call it. The mid-Scott episode. The mid-Scott Christmas episode. And it's got all the Scott things in it. Drunkenness, girls who are completely in love with him, uh, off-putting comments, being taken by a child, all the <laughs> normal Scott things. I didn't know those were all Scott things. Yeah. It's just the way Scott is. I've, I'm learning to really like Scott. I am. I appreciate him more than the first time I saw his episodes. Yeah, and he doesn't get a he gets a short shift mm-hmm. here. And I think the actor does much better here than he did in the recent Agatha Raisin he was in. I agree. So can we just agree off the top that Jennifer is annoying? The most annoying. She may be the most unlikable person in this entire series. Wow. And there are unlikable people. That's saying something. Well and I keep Okay, so... (laughs) The most unlikable person in Midsummer In this season, at the very least. Is that seven or eight? Seven. Okay. (laughs) Remember, it's it's She's the most unlikable character in a Scott episode. Is that what you're saying? Oh, definitely, I think. Okay. Pretty for sure there. Wow, that's putting a a Though the Orchid Fatalis professor might give her a run for her money. I don't know. See, I have... I also dislike Jennifer. She's incredibly annoying. She would be that relative who I really dreaded going to see. But at the same time, I think she has good motives. She just doesn't know how to deal with those motives. No, I disagree. The way she expresses her concern and care for people is poorly done. No, I think she's insane. I think she is in love with her brother and can't admit it. And wants to run his life. She wants to run everybody's life. I don't even believe that she got a private eye to look into the background of Claire. I believe fully that she made all of that up. Wow. Okay. I really don't like her. So you've put me in the odd position of defending Jennifer, (laughs) the most dislikable person in a Scott episode. But I I guess I'm going to have to do that. That's okay. I'm sorry. I don't like her one bit. And she doesn't have her fantastic Italian accent that she has in Lovejoy. Oh, I got something to tell you about that. (laughs) I got some interesting factoids about her Italian accent. Oh, good Lord. That episode, it comes at the end of season two or three. She's in two episodes. It's a two-parter. Yeah, she's at the Where Lovejoy goes to Venice. Season finale, I think it is, of either two or three. (laughs) Okay, before we get too deep into that. It's like Mario. <laughs> let's let's do an let's just do an overview, okay? Okay. So we've got we've got the family, right? We've got Jennifer and her siblings who are Ferdy and Ross and yes. Kate. Yes. 
And then it's the de Villiers family. No, just Villiers. Villiers family. That's yes. right. Just the Villiers family. Ferdy has committed suicide. Nine years ago. Aunt Lydia. On Christmas Day. Aunt Lydia raised the kids because their parents died young. She must be the sister of the dad. Right. She's their paternal aunt. Yeah. Right. So she moved in when they were younger and, and was a parent to them. So she stays in the house. Ferdy shoots himself on Christmas Eve nine years ago. We're, we're not sure why, other than to make the dad, the dog, the most sad dog. Oh, Alfie. I, I spend the first whole part of my notes are all poor Alfie, poor Alfie. Oh, Alfie. He's a beautiful black lab with a big gold bow. Yes. He's a good puppy. He's a very good puppy. And played by at least three different dogs. <laughs> well, he'd have to be, yes. right? Well, yeah. Then after the cold opening, we get the, the full episode. We start, it's Christmas Eve, nine years later. Yes. Right? And we start out at the cop shop, and the most repulsive thing happens in the whole episode. I want to know who Pam is. <laughs> you see her. I've watched this scene like six times. <laughs> so, so you see Pam walk. Towards the camera from a hallway. Yes. And then she finds Tom, who's been imbibing in Christmas. She's chair. on a beeline for Tom, so he doesn't get out the door before she gets her lip lock. Barnaby's like completely fine with it. Disgusting. Scott's like, I thought I was the woman crazy one. Who does that? Who wa- First of all, who walks around with mistletoe in their hand just so they can get as many kisses as possible, right? Pam. Second of all, who kisses... People on the lips Pam. for mistletoe. Pam. And this is inappropriate workplace behavior. Pam. <laughs> Pam doesn't even make the credits. No. She's got lines, but she makes the credit. She is some person in the production of the episode. All I know is that it's it's not like it's a, a throat kiss or anything, but oh, God, it's more no. than just a... No, it's... It's a... Uh, like, Scott makes notice of it. Yeah. Boy, you couldn't do that nowadays. Meanwhile, I'm like, <laughs> wait a minute. There's a sign in the background. <laughs> <laughs> a sign about terrorists. The sign says, terrorists, suspicion. Have you let accommodations or cashed or sold a vehicle for cash? Seen anyone suspicious? Seen anything suspicious? Don't hesitate. Please ring the anti-terrorist branch hotline 0800789321. And underneath, in very small letters, we your call will be strictly confidential. <laughs> Maybe we should call the terrorist hotline on Pam. She's a lip terrorist. She is. She's a mistletoe terrorist. Mistletoe. Missile. The the word missile is in the name. It's spelled different, but okay. (laughs) Just saying. Then Tom goes home. He gets a taxi home. He's clearly drunk. And he clearly gives the nod and the wink to Scott that if anything happens, be sure to call me right away. Yeah, he's not so drunk as to not beg for an escape route from his family Christmas, right? Because Joyce's parents are coming. Joyce's parents are coming. Douglas and Maureen. He's brought the Monopoly. That is a trivia question right there. What are... Joyce's parents' names. Yes. (laughs) Yes. He's brought the Monopoly and nothing else. She has a suitcase 
and he has the world's oldest monopoly. <laughs> the nearest I can tell is it's from the 60s or 70s. At the, at the very it's early. It's got black dice. It has black dice, and it's also pure cardboard. There's no shiny cardboard on it, right? Yeah, it's that flat cardboard. So it's so a flat cardboard, so I would assume it's 60s. It's, it's probably the Monopoly board that Joyce grew up playing with. Meanwhile, at Dragert Hall, the Villiers are arriving, right? So we get Emily and Aiden. Aiden is Jennifer's son. Yes. Otherwise known as the largest toddler. And they drive through town, which has so many people in it. Everything's going on. It is the busiest. This is Coston. It's never said in the entire episode. We had to look it up in the Midsummer Magazine murder map to realize that this happens on the northwestern outskirts of Coston. Yes. Well, there's a choir. There's some kind of parade that's just breaking up. Big Santa Claus. The thing that looks like Bonham. People who look like they're out on a some school a teacher of party or something. Yeah, I, yeah it's it's the Looney they Tunes. They have tons of extras again in these episodes. Mm-hmm. They show up at the house. I can't get over what a bad host Aiden is. He pisses me off the whole episode. He is. If I was Emily, I would be absolutely miserable. I don't know these people. The only person I do know is being a shit. I'm not with my own family. I'm here with this crazy family and they're all mean to me. I'm kind of glad he doesn't get the hundred K. He shouldn't. He can't. It's on tape. Cops have seen it. Somebody has got to give it to the, to the lawyer. So Emily and Aiden show up at the house, and then the next to arrive is Ross. Yes. On his motorcycle. I have a problem with Ross. He's the the lost brother who's been abroad for years. He's a jerk at the breakfast flashback. He's reading his paper. Oh, when he was a big city stockbroker. Big city stockbroker. And suddenly, because of do you think he knows what Jennifer did? Because remember, Jennifer's the bad person. <laughs> do you think he knows what Jennifer did? No, I don't think he cares enough to even be part of that. But I think he feels bad. And that's why he goes crazy. What's he doing staying there? I don't know. Like, does he live there at that time? At that time, yeah, he's living there. So before Ferdy's suicide. Yes. Well, he's the youngest. So Ross is the youngest? Ross or Kate and her crazy clothing thing. We'll get to that. So we've got Jennifer, Ferdy, Kate, and Ross. Yes. They are the siblings. Ferdy was the oldest. That's why he would have inherited. Yes. Ross winds up inheriting because he's the oldest male. male. Yeah. Right. So I think it goes Ferdy, Jennifer, Kate, Ross. So you think he's the youngest? I don't know. Kate, Ross, you could exchange. Jennifer definitely acts like the oldest sibling. Well, okay. Yes, like she, she has does. to be responsible for everybody, i.e. bossy on everybody. And Ross arrives with his, his leathers on, his crazy hat, and he's, you know, he's got a beard. And, and he's a Buddhist. He's with a the Buddhist beads. and all the stuff, right? But behind them is Kate and her husband, whose name is... Digby. Digby. The most impatient driver in the universe. And she is chastising her daughter, who has to be 21, in the back of the car, Phoebe. Mm-hmm. Phoebe should not have come on this. She, Phoebe should have went to the pub with Scott. Yeah. <laughs> she would have been better off. <laughs> she would have been better off. And then, beside Phoebe in the back seat, 
behind the passenger is the gold mine that is Howard. Yes. <laughs> My Howard, favorite character. Howard does nothing but tell the truth in this episode, and no one believes him. Nope. He's the wisest person in the family, that's for sure. He is absolutely the most observant, intelligent, wise, caring person in the family. Let's talk about these actors. You mentioned Jennifer. Being on... Her... The, na- the actress's name is Hayden Gwynn. Yes. You see her all the time. She's in a lot, a lot, a lot of things. Yeah. Um, she's in another episode of Midsummer. It's um, Dark Secrets, which is a 2011 episode. I forget what she that plays one. Maggie Viviani. I forget what that's about. Is she Italian in that episode? It's a me, Vivian. She is in two episodes of Lovejoy yeah. playing an Italian tour guide. Yes. Who has an Italian accent that Mark's not exaggerating. She sounds like Mario. <laughs> it's a me, your tour guide. You're so welcome to Venice. Welcome to Venice. But here's what you need to know that makes that even worse. Hayden Gwynn taught English in Italy for two years and no, speaks she Italian fluently. No, she doesn't. She was an Italian tutor. Oh my gosh. She is an insult to the Italian people. She is. And I confirmed, I looked at the years, she did that before the Lovejoy episode. So it's not like, oh, she went to Venice when she fell in Lovejoy and fell in love with the language and stayed there to teach Italian. No, 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 no. They probably hired her for that part because she could speak Italian. I know. She speaks Italian in the episode, and I think her Italian's okay. It's her pretend Italian English. And I remember when the first time we watched that episode, we said... By the way, spoilers, she gets shot and killed. We were like, oh, darn. <laughs> yeah. But it, it brings up an interesting thing I, I, that I had never really thought about. It's the most James Bondy episode of Lovejoy ever. Oh, yeah. But if you are fluent in a second language, it probably is really difficult to do that accent in English. Yeah, I can understand that. It's probably very hard. Like, it's very different when I speak French. Than when I pretend to be a person from Quebec speaking English. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I took German, Russian, Japanese. I couldn't speak English with those accents. No, without I can pronounce words cartoony. in those languages. Yeah. yeah. Without sounding cartoony. But it's when tough. I saw that she was fluent Italian, I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good midsummer. I love joy. It, 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 it is a good love joy. If you can joy. get past her cringy accent. It's okay. She buys it pretty early on. <laughs> it's me, Luigi. I'm on the boat. <laughs> oh, I got shot. <laughs> <laughs> now, Aunt Lydia yep. is played by Marjorie Mason, yep. who has a long history of long, acting. Long, history. But by far, her favorite credit of mine anyway, is she is what they referred to as the ancient booer. Yes. In Princess Bride. Yes. Boo! Boo! She's like a crone. Yep. You had true love and you threw it away. Yep. Excellent. She does such a good job. If you haven't seen Princess Bride in the last few years, you should give yourself a treat and rewatch it. Well, we'll link to a scene uh, of her doing It's hard to imagine Aunt Lydia being bad. Yep. You know? Um... 
Kate. 13 down is a stinker. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, Kate, the other sister. Is yeah. Okay. What does she have on when she gets out of the car? A coat. That goes around her head like a super spaceship outfit. <laughs> it does have a rather thorough hood. Uh, it's actually the picture for this week's episode because I am literally, I'm like, I really like that, but I hate it at the same time. She looks warm. She does. She does. She's played by Mel Martin. Okay. Who again has been in a lot of things, but what I found about her that I thought was most interesting because you know, Midsummer, it's, it just goes to show how few actors there are in England. (laughs) You know, like everybody's been in a Midsummer. She's the first actor in a midsummer who has been married to two actors who were also in midsummers excellent who was she married to she was married to john dutton who plays will saxby in blood will out okay and paul ridley who played neville blackshaw in the black book we haven't got to black book yet, no but we did blood will out yeah <laughs> now ross is played by philip quast quast who is an incredible singer. Oh, I didn't know that. The majority of his credits are for musicals. Like oh. He's been in Les Mis and he's been in, if you Google him, that's what you find. Him singing. Is that he, yeah, that he is a, a mus- an actor in musicals okay. and has an incredibly beautiful voice. Luckily, he's really only in this episode for like four scenes and doesn't do much in them. No, he just has a beard. <laughs> and beads. Carries his beard around. I'm a Buddhist now. <laughs> so so that's the siblings anyway. Yes. I don't have anything on, on Ferdy. You don't have anything on Howard? Well, he's not a sibling. Do you okay. want to talk about them? Well, yeah, we'll talk about Howard and, and Phoebe. Well, let's talk about Emily and Aiden then. Okay. Aiden. Wait a minute. I have to go smoke. <laughs> Aiden Carter is played by Dominic Colenso. Wait a minute. I have to go pout. He was 25 when this was made. No, he was eight. He acted eight. Howard is more mature than him. The character acts like an eight-year-old, but he's played by a 25-year-old man mm-hmm. who maybe did two more acting gigs after this. And that's it. And then he quit and then became a professional speaker. Oh. He's a speaker, communications expert, and former professional actor. Oh. Has we're, he sent you a LinkedIn an invite to a No, talk? but we're only two degrees separated on LinkedIn. Oh, my. Now, Howard is played by Rory Copas. He's 13 when he plays this role. Yes. He also only does a couple more acting gigs after this. He does another one of my favorite ones, though. Yeah, he's in Hellboy. He's in Hellboy yeah. as the kid on the, on the roof that throws rocks at the other guy with yeah. Hellboy. Yeah, he's and great. Shares, shares his cookies with Hellboy. Yeah. His hair is super long. He um, went on to get a BA in mechanical engineering and... Uh, became a professional rower, and now he's a rowing coach at a private school in the UK and has a, a very active YouTube channel where he posts, his, um, he posts his, I think it's the rowing coach is what he calls himself. Oh, he must be like 40 now. Yeah, if he was 13 yeah. when this was filmed. Yeah. yeah. So. But you look at him, it's like, that's Howard. Oh, that's good. <laughs> he's still got the same face, just older. Dominic, who we haven't even mentioned yet. Okay, so Dominic shows up in a cab. And at first, when you first watch this episode, you're like, who are you and why are you involved with the family? Yeah. And that's what everybody wants to know. Well, clearly, it's because he's the killer. He's played by Bruce Alexander. 
Bruce Alexander was in every episode of Touch of Frost. Every episode? Yes. He was the sergeant or whatever to Frost. Oh, okay. Okay. But there's something else interesting here. Okay. Because when I looked into that and, and Touch of Frost is like East Enders and, and so many other shows that I see in every author's bio. If they're yes. in a midsummer, they've been yeah. in, you know, a couple every of other things, bio. right? Yeah. yeah. What did I say? Authors. Oh, sorry. Um, Touch of Frost is one of those things that I see pretty commonly. And Touch of Frost was way ahead of its time. Yeah. Like Touch of Frost and I would say Morse are kind of, con- they're the same time frame, I think, mm. that they were out. And they're, they have kind of the same feeling to them. The thing about Touch of Frost is it only ever had 42 episodes. It's not much. I mean, it's, it's several seasons, yeah. right? And Bruce Alexander was in every episode. The Touch of Frost podcast is almost over, but <laughs> there is no Touch of Frost no, podcast. But if they started when we did, they'd almost be yes. done. So I thought, I wonder how many other actors have been in both Touch of Frost and Midsummer. Yes. And I do that all the time. And yeah. it's always a high number. But I'd never done it with a show that had so few episodes. Yes. 130 actors. Actors. We're in Touch of Frost and Midsummer. Yes, just actors. I ruled out stuntmen, directors, craft services, producers, everybody else. Yeah. Just actors. I wonder, it's the same network? I wonder That's if- an average of three Midsummer actors per episode of Touch of Frost. Wow. That's crazy. I know. <laughs> I mean. You did Touch of Frost? Well, you're all, well, you're in. You have to do a Midsummer. You have to do a Midsummer. That's in your contract. If you do one, you have to do the other. I couldn't, I couldn't believe there were that many. That's a lot. But there are so many episodes of Midsummer, right? Yes. You could have those same 130 actors and have only, you know, two of them in each Midsummer. It's like the crossover between Midsummer and The Bill. Right. And, and that kind of show that was on for so long, yeah. you expect to see those overlaps. But with Touch of Frost, it was such a short-running show. Speaking of short-running shows... Hayden Gwynn, who plays Jennifer, was also in this awesome show for kids and um, they only had one season in 1991 called Time Riders. Time Riders? Mm-hmm. They rode the time? Um, she's a motorcycle riding time traveling scientist. Oh, that will be in the show notes for sure. It's fantastic. I can only imagine. <laughs> but there's no puppet who lives in the basement. Is no, there's no, there's no creepy puppet or living scarecrow. <laughs> Though she does have a strange sidekick. I don't, you know. Okay, so they get to, they all get to the house and they all snipe at each other. Especially Jennifer is sniping at her own son for bonking. What is up with her? Why? Okay, she puts them in separate rooms. Fine. It's her house. They're not married. She says they should sleep in separate rooms. Fine. But then she won't let it go. It's not her house. It's Ross's house. Just saying. No, they share it. Okay. It's equally owned, but her son and his girlfriend under her shared roof with her siblings. Fine. You make the rules. They I don't care what you rooms. do in their grubby rooms. Yeah. I don't care about that, but she won't let it go. If she I was Emily, I would be mortified. She mentions it to Dominic as loud as possible. Like when they recorded that to be in the production, she would have had to yell it. Yeah. And that's Emily. She's sex crazed. All she wants to do is screw my son all the time. I don't know what I'm going to do about all their sex craziness. And she just isn't happy unless she's having sex. Like, 
Why do you think that? It wasn't even, it, she didn't say a word. Oh, she was just, fine with separate rooms. Yeah. Just want to hit her. Yeah. <laughs> like, Emily is a guest. Yes. No one treats her like a guest, especially Aiden. Oh, the worst. Just the worst. It's not how you treat people when you bring them to your house, even if you do want to bonk them. Well, Jennifer has a no bonking rule. Well, I don't think Jennifer's been bonked in a long time. <laughs> Her and poor old Lydia just rattling around that house. Yes. So I want, I, so I, it made me wonder, like, where does bonking come from as a term? Because, I mean, you and I both knew what it meant. I think most people would. I remember it being big in high school for us, bonking. So there might have been a cultural reference then to it, uh, like on TV or something. I, I had all kinds of trouble finding it. Okay. Oh, really? So I found some, some options. There's no definitive, but here are the options. So bonk originally was a blow to the head. Yes. Right? So bonk, bonk on the head. You got bonked on the head. It's a Star Trek episode. And if you get bonked on the head enough, you go bonkers. Okay. That right? makes sense. So you get you, it's insanity. You're bonkers. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. That makes sense. Then it was proposed that bonk had become slang for sex because it was knob backwards. No. I, I, I don't get that at all. No, no. <laughs> don't agree with that it's one. It's not back slang. No. I don't understand that. You get hit on the head, you go crazy. I can't connect that meaning of bonk to sex at all. Then there was the knob thing. Yeah. Then there's this idea that it might be an onomatopoeia. <laughs> <laughs> If you're it, making that noise, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> like, who has sex that goes bonk, 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 bonk? <laughs> and if your partner is saying bonk, 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 you may want to check. They might be a goose. <laughs> <laughs> bonk, 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 bonk. Like, I, I don't get it. I, I don't support bonking geese. I, I don't understand how anybody ever even thought about that long enough to write it down. No. And I'm talking about like reputable sources of the etymology of words said it may be an imitative or onomatopoeic term Again, for sex. I say, if you're making that noise <laughs> or the act itself is making that noise, you are doing it wrong. It just leads me to believe that people who write dictionaries don't have sex. <laughs> oh, that's what sex sounds like, isn't it? Bonk, 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 bonk. <laughs> like... Or maybe it's just one big bonk. <laughs> oh, that was fast. <laughs> so I, I could never find any kind of definitive connection. So then everybody goes to church. And by everybody. Because it's Christmas Eve, everybody but Digby and Ross. Everybody in the entire episode goes to church or within two pews of each other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Bar Barnaby doesn't even know. Well, no, wait a minute. Scott doesn't go to church. No, Scott doesn't go to church. So He's with the young people who are bonking. Scott. No, they're not. <laughs> Scott, Digby, and Ross, and Alfie are the only people who don't go to church on Christmas Eve. For exactly. Now. And Alfie is excused because he's a dog. Yes. Uh, before that, I want to talk a little bit about songs before that. Yeah. In the beginning, when they get to the house and everything, it's all three ships. Now, three ships is a traditional British Christmas song. You mean it's like played in the background of yep. the episode? I saw okay. three ships come sailing in. On Christmas Day. On, on Christmas, Christmas Day. Day. Okay. Yeah. No one understands this song. 
it it says the ships are sailing into Bethlehem. Okay. Okay. There's no body of water near Bethlehem. No. The closest, it's not a port city. The closest body of water is 60 miles away. <laughs> On Bethlehem in the morning. Yeah, no. Yeah. The, how can you sail a ship into a desert? So, the, again, this goes along with the bonking thing. In the sense that <laughs> it does, that it, has, it has weird <laughs> connotations. People have said, okay, that it's actually three ships that are coming in to Spain that have relics from the Magi on them. Okay. So the Magi are the three wise men who supposedly, it's, it's never talked about in the Bible. So it's like a crusade story. Yeah, it's like a crusade story. But then there's the people who are like, no, 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 no. Camels are the ships of the desert. And because they are the ships of the desert, the Magi ride in on the camels. And that's the three ships. That kind of makes sense. Kind of. And camels has too many syllables. I saw three camels come sailing. (laughs) Come bonking in, come bonking in. But on a weird aside again, when I first saw, I, I remember I, see, I saw a cartoon with this in it. I forget what British Christmas show has it in it. It's three ships that come sailing in. I don't know what it is. It may have been in like it a little aside. I was really young. And my mother said that they were the ships from Columbus. <laughs> it was the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. And so I was way confused when I was looking <laughs> this up. And I kept wondering why this is a Christmas song. Anyway. It so does that, say on Christmas Day in the morning. Yeah, I know. But but Christopher Columbus is not really a Christmassy thing. No. 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 At the church, they are singing hymns. They sing a hymn that is entitled, While Shepherds Watched Their Flocks. Okay, it's, I remember singing this hymn in the Anglican Church, Anglican Church when I was a boy on Midnight Mass on Christmas. I remembered this, definitely doing this. Okay. It is hymn number 211 in the Anglican Hymn Book, which is not <laughs> on the hymnal dis- number displays. And those are standard. Yes. Right? So, like, when I found this online, it shows you what, it tells you what hymn number it is. Okay. And they're standard. Like, you hear people talking about, oh, I love 54 or things like that, right? But the the thing at the front of the church that lists the numbers for the hymns doesn't have 211 on it. Oh. So the vicar's doing a bad job? But it should have 211 on it. That's it's, it's not even listed on the sign. What are they doing singing that song? And then Dominic playing my mother is singing like a crazy man. <laughs> <laughs> I saw three sheep come daily. No, no. You got to have a lot of vibrato, right? Yes. <laughs> so everybody goes to church and everybody goes home and, it's weird because we're there's some weird stuff about this episode and we'll get to a, another couple of things about it. But this is weird because they're like, oh, you know, the Barnabies, wink, wink. And, you know, all these people are involved in this bad thing that's going to happen. Wink, wink. So, you know what's going on. But none of the characters do and never make reference to it ever again. Yeah, it's kind of an inside thing. Yeah. 
It's a, a wink and a nod. The Dead Sea is only 20 miles away from Bethlehem, by the way. Still. It, you, you could not see ships. <laughs> sailing in. From Bethlehem. No. Unless they were really big. <laughs> With Columbus on them. Yes. <laughs> what are we doing here? <laughs> Where is he from? Transylvania? <laughs> You you say that uh, that what's her name that uh, Hayden Gwynn has a bad accent. That's yeah, um, that was the worst Christopher Columbus ever. When wasn't he Portuguese? Uh, th- see what happened is I was going through the in my brain that he was Italian because most people think he's Italian, but he's not. And then I said, no, he's Portuguese and. That monstrosity came out of or my mouth. Or is he Italian, but he was sponsored by the Portuguese? No, no. It's the other way around. Okay. So he would say, obrigado. He was, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's the know. only Portuguese word Maybe. I know. <laughs> I'm cutting this whole section out. No, you can't. It's so awesome. It's horrible. <laughs> my ships, they are so big you can see them from 20 miles away. <laughs> Okay, so they get they get to the house. We've been in the house a long time. No, no, no. They get back to the house yes. after church. And Digby doesn't go to church because he's too busy smoking on the couch. Yeah, and falling asleep. asleep with a cigar in his hand. In the house that's ready to go up anyway. Yeah. Ross is in his room. Yes. We don't know where Alfie is. Yeah, we don't know where Alfie is. And Scott has gone home. Yes. Because he's on call. He tells that five-headed, red-haired girl he's on call and he's got to go home. Who is referred to in the credits as girl. <laughs> she gets more time than credit than Pam. Yeah, Pam's got a name. All my note says is Scott in the bar with five-head, red-haired girl. No. Because she's got a gigantic forehead. Just girl. Just girl. Sorry. He's good, though. He does the right thing. He goes home. He eats his dinner. He watches the movie. He's ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The seemingly important thing that we should be paying attention to is Lydia parking the car in the garage. We'll get to that. Okay. That's what we should be paying attention to. No, 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 no. Mark is not paying attention to that. Mark spends 25 minutes (laughs) piecing together what black and white movie that Howard turns the channel to. Yeah. And Scott's watching. Yes. So originally... It's got a crazy dummy in it. Oh, boy. That's all I noticed. Originally, what is on the TV is a choir show. Right. Now, these are common, at least they were in Canada, to have these choir shows where you could turn them on and listen to these people sing church music. Yeah, and it's probably at a cathedral or the national church or whatever. Yes. Where where is it that the royals no, get no, married? No, no, it's in a it's in a studio. This oh. one. Oh, okay. And they're singing uh in the bleak midwinter by a happy uh, song. Christina Rossetti. Well, you know, what's her name? Jennifer loves it. Of course. Why didn't we get this one at the hymn service? No. No. This is, she knows the song. She's singing along. But because Howard does the adult thing of turning the channel and watching what he wants and keeping himself busy, she gets upset with him. 
So he turns the channel. You're going to ruin Christmas. Yep. He turns the channel to a Halloween movie. And this Halloween movie is bonkers. <laughs> the reason why I know what movie it is, is because it's directed by Charles Creighton and two other guys. And you see that on this, on the, the image, like tiny, like a 10th of a second. And that's all it takes for Mark yeah. to find everything. Yep. And we find that this is a 1950 movie called dead of night. Now, Charles Grinton also directed A Fish Called Wanda. Those are two very different movies. Very, very different movies. <laughs> this is called Dead of Night? Yes. Who plays that on Christmas Eve? Uh, I don't know. My kind of Howard. people. My kind of our, our people. My kind of people. So the synopsis for this movie is architect Walter Craig senses impending doom as he is half as his half remembered dreaming Reoccurring dream turns into reality. He shows up at this house and he knows everybody, but he doesn't know how he got there. Mm. And they all tell him different stories. So it's an anthology, mm -hmm. which is one of my very favorite kind of horror movies. Mm -hmm. Like I'm watching this movie very shortly. Yeah. I, I, it is my kind of movie for sure. And Scott is also watching the same movie and it has the weird puppet in it. Right? Yes. A puppet that looks the, like he's from a Goosebumps book. One of the stories is it looks about like a, Jimmy Carr. Is about a, a <laughs> <laughs> is about a puppet that comes alive, right? Mm. I have no idea why this movie is in this episode so prominently. Like no one from this episode worked on that movie. It just must be somebody's. It's like Scars of Dracula. It's like yeah, why it's somebody's is this favorite here? or. I don't know. Maybe they to show that much of it, they must have had permission. Right? Maybe. So was it old enough that it wasn't uh, copyrighted anymore it or was, something like it that? It was over 50 years old. Whatever it is, it has to be the opposite of anything that Jennifer would be willing to have on TV. Yes. So picking a horror movie is perfect. Yes. Because there's no way she's going to tolerate that. So why that. is it not Scars of Dracula, which is the go-to movie in <laughs> Midsummer? Because <laughs> there's no creepy dummy in it? I I don't know. I just suggest that Howard has not only good taste in cards, not only good taste in card tricks, but good taste in movies. <laughs> in the garage, something is happening. Well, okay. So the dinner happens before church? Yes. The dinner because where that's where Digby lights his cigar. Yes. So that's where Howard gets the weird message in his popper. How yes. can you tell a heartless liar with blood on their hands? Yes. They'll be dead by Boxing Day. Do you know how poppers work? Yeah, you were going to look this up. Yeah, but do, do you know like what it is in it that makes it go pop? It's like a cap. It's not. Oh, what is it? So you and I talked about this, and we both thought that the popper in, in a Christmas cracker was probably similar to a cap in a cap gun, right? It had a tiny, tiny bit of gunpowder, yep. and something hits it. Which and you should have around tissue paper. And bang, right? Yeah. But that's not the case because there's nothing to strike it. Gunpowder has to be hit. Okay. Right? It has to be pressured. Um, and that doesn't happen in a cracker. What it is is silver fulminate. Okay. So you take a strip of cardboard. I, I watched a how-to video. I can make my own now. Okay. If I can just find some silver fulminate, which I'm sure you can pick up anywhere. 
Tyler, you got a big box of it. It's highly <laughs> explosive. Like it can explode under its own weight. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Must be interesting to ship. <laughs> yeah. So you take a, a strip of cardboard that, um, that you cut in two and then you overlap it. Right. So that, so that the, um, so it's overlapped by like an inch. Yeah. And at the end of each piece, you put a tiny piece of like sandpaper. Okay. Okay. And then there's a stripe of silver, silver fulminate between them. Okay. So that when you pull them apart, the sandpaper Rubs creates friction yeah. on the silver fulminate and it goes bang. Okay. That's how you do it. Okay. Um, and I actually watched a video of a guy making these. I was denied crackers as a child, so I'm fascinated by them. Oh, well, if you go to oldenglishcrackers.com. Okay. Not only can you watch a video about how they're made, but you can buy your own supplies, including the snaps. Ooh. So you can make your very own. My own very Christmas own crackers. crackers. You will be denied no more. Oh, nice. I also watched a video of people who made a giant one. And they put way too much silver fulminate in it. <laughs> yeah, tissue it, paper? It caught on fire. Yeah, yeah, tissue paper. The little plastic penguin that was in it was melted. <laughs> no, no crown for you. <laughs> no, no. Christmas crown up in flames. So Lydia drives back from church because she's an independent woman. Yeah. And she drives back with Dominic, who has his plan, his nefarious plan. He gets out of the car because he can't get out of the car on that side in the garage because it's teeny tiny. It's one of those garages that was built for a carriage. Yes. And now you put a car in it. Yes. So it barely fits. And then we think he goes in through the front door. That's what he convinces everybody. But he doesn't. But in reality, he slips in through the garage while she's putting the car away. So what it looks like to people at this time is that Lydia left the car, came inside. No, what supposedly no. happened was when she got out of the car, she accidentally pulled a wardrobe down on the car and also forgot to turn the car off and locked herself in. Yes, that's what. <laughs> and the garage door opener. Jennifer totally gaslights her. You're crazy. How, how do you do all of that? Not knowing it. Yeah. Which is what? <laughs> The point, like Lydia goes, that's the point. <laughs> yeah. I, so I pulled a wardrobe over on myself and didn't notice. Cars start themselves. Forgot, forgot to turn the car off and didn't notice. Jennifer, and, the gaslighter, is like. <laughs> I think we've tolerated you, you long enough. <laughs> You're I, not going to ruin Christmas. I think we tolerated you long enough. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna, it's a me, Jennifer. <laughs> I ruined a Christmas by being an overbearing no bitch. No harder ruins a Christmas. <laughs> he should apologize for everything. Yeah, she's trapped and then she's like banging on the door. Help me, help me. With a cricket bat. Yeah, with a cricket bat. And she's got that. But there's more in that garage than meets the eye. Oh, you saw a sign. So there's a sign there that says, roll the pig for 60p. <laughs> Don't know what this means. There's a roll the pig game at Fets. I couldn't get video of what it was. It's probably like bowling, isn't it? Uh, well, I don't know because I thought I had a handle on it. I thought maybe it was like a tombola that looked like a pig. Mm -hmm. But no, because one blog I read said, I remember going to Fets as a child with my parents and 
my dad playing role the pig. And then there's this clause, which is at that point in time, the pig was real. What? What? (laughs) (laughs) That poor little pig. No, at that point in time, the pig was live. So then later you play with a dead pig. Rolling of the dead pig later. I don't know. That's not a kid's game. Please, please. People in England explain roll the pig to us. That's not a game you play at a fate. Anyway, they have a sign. Probably because they get roped into running it every year at the local fair. Well, I'm sure Jennifer has lots to say about that. It's me. I rolled the pig. (laughs) (laughs) I, I think if Lydia had come in the house after being trapped in the garage and had a bullet in her shoulder, Jennifer would have said, you shot yourself. You're not going to ruin Christmas. No, no. <laughs> it's Howard. Stop shooting yourself. Howard, stop shooting Aunt Lydia. You're not going to ruin Christmas. And Ross would have been like, because <sighs> that's all he does. Yeah. I'm a Buddhist, so I can't be involved in conflict now. Later that night, Emily's trying to sleep in her room, and her room is invaded by some creepy person. And so she screams, and it's Jennifer. And Aiden just happens to be climbing a ladder to get into her room because, you know, he's sex crazed. And Jennifer looks at her like, like, it's her fault. What are you stupid that I creeped into your room? I, first of all, I can't believe that you're shocked that I'm creeping into your room in the middle of the night. And second, you're sex crazed. That's why Aiden's climbing the side of the house. Wait a minute. Emily's in her room minding her own business. It's Aiden who's sex crazed. Aiden is the sex crazed man. But if I'm defending Jennifer here. She made up a stocking for somebody she didn't know. She did. To make sure that she would have one. She did. And that's nice. I'm going to introduce Jennifer to this new thing. It's called knocking. Or leave it on the doorknob. Leave it on the doorknob. Because she's, she's trying to be Santa. Yeah. Right? So you leave it on the doorknob. I, I've never seen a person in a Santa hat be more idiotic. Be less festive. Yes. And... and I was just waiting for her to blame Howard for her <laughs> Howard was supposed to tell you that I'm going to come in with the stocking tonight. It's me, Santa. Oh. <laughs> you sex-crazed idiot. <laughs> but she is being nice. We need to put a disclaimer <laughs> in the front of this episode. We're so, not saying those are good Italian accents. That's the whole point. We in no way are actually imitating Italian people. No, 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 no. Scott's neighbor across the street has the most obnoxious Christmas lights, sets off his own car alarm. <laughs> what is that part about? I don't know. It has no bearing in the entire episode. It is somebody in the production who's pissed off about a neighbor who sets his car alarm off all the time and has obnoxious Christmas lights. Meanwhile, in Scott's moldy bedsit. Oh, God, Scott, clean up. <laughs> Uh, and we get to see Lydia also woken in the night after yes. the screaming, I suppose yes. everybody goes back to bed Yes, and Lydia decides it's time for her to put in her diary entry, the diary that she keeps behind the, the secret door in her room Yeah, that I would think every, any kid who grew up in that house would know about that room. You would think it's just a closet. Yeah. But you know, if it's been her room 
as long as they can remember, maybe they wouldn't go in there. That you tell people, Lydia's room has a secret room. Like, you tell people that. They obviously don't appreciate that they live in this incredible house. They all think it's junk. Yep. Anyway, oh, down the stairs she goes. Yeah. And Alfie gets blamed. Alfie scratches on Lydia's door and then stops. Why wouldn't Lydia just go, huh, and go back to bed? No, no. Like, oh, well, he left. That's the whole point of going to the door was to get him to go away. Yeah. So why wouldn't she just go back to bed? No, she goes to the stairs. She goes to wander. And Howard runs out and pushes her. (laughs) Sorry, I was pretending to be Jennifer. Well, he does later admit that he did it or something. Oh, but he admits it like, oh, yeah, I did it. I I did it. I apologize. It was me. Yeah. I'm homicidal. (laughs) But he does admit it. Yes. Because he just wants to get everybody off his back. Well, so, he and he totally like rats on the cops about it. Like it's like you know, if a suspect's not guilty, and he just wants to tell the copper something to shut them up. Yeah, like <laughs> I'm telling you right now. <laughs> so Lydia goes to the hospital, and nobody stays with her. No, because she's not going to ruin Christmas. And this is like okay. this poor old woman is in the hospital alone. Let's say, let's say they went to bed early. First of all, church is late on Christmas Eve, like 11 o'clock late. Yeah. Okay. So they came in. They had the whole garage thing. Let's give them 40 minutes for that. Okay. okay. So now it's almost midnight. Then they have the whole stocking thing. Yes. That's enough. We'll give it 20 minutes. Let, so, let's say it's 1230 now. It's 1230 now. Now Lydia's up writing in her book mm-hmm. and goes down the stairs. Okay? So now it's one. Yeah. They call the cops, right? Because Scott calls Barnaby. Right. The next morning. But Scott has been there. And the ambulance has been and taken her away. Yeah. So it's like four in the morning. Yeah. And Jennifer comes home and is like, she wouldn't want us to ruin Christmas. Go to to bed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and Scott's nice enough not to call tom right away right he lets him have his presence in bed first yeah about that <laughs> so i don't understand the barnabys exchange gifts and then take those gifts back to their bedrooms and open them and yell at each other around the house about the gifts that's what they do that's not me making fun of them or does does tom or joyce distribute the presents I would and say then get back in I'm bed. I'm voting Cully in her new purple sweater. She does have a new outfit. Yep. Or at least a new top. Yes. I think it's just stockings. I think they just open small things in bed. Including a carving knife? It's not large. It would fit in <laughs> a stocking. You've never put a, sto- a carving knife in my stocking. <laughs> And that's not a euphemism for the bonking. The only carving knife we have is out in the garage where I use it to cut styrofoam. For Halloween. <laughs> and it's great for that. You mentioned Cully's top. Can yeah. we talk about Emily's sweaters? Okay. Because the cardigan that she puts on is, is more grown than made. Yes. It's disgusting. It looks like it's made out of fungus. It's, it's bulbousy. And it looks 80 years old and haven't been buried in the ground for a week first and then dug up and then worn. Like, who, 
It's one just of the, gross. One of the things they talk about in the magazine is how incredibly cold it was during filming inside. Okay. So Kate's got a nice coat. Why can't Emily have a nice coat? No, she's too busy thinking about bonking. She to wear has nice a clothes. hideous belted fungusy cardigan. What is that belt? The whole thing is just. Oof. But then later when she's washing dishes on Christmas Day or Boxing Day. She's got another sweater on that's even worse. And there's, I forget who, is it Emily who wears the patchwork thing? Like, what's her, Joe from the last episode? She's got, well, she's got a, a patchwork denim shirt. Yeah. A plaid denim yeah. shirt. It's kind of madras plaid sort of. That was popular maybe 10 or 15 years before this episode was filmed. Yeah. So I think we're supposed to get the impression that Emily doesn't have a lot of money. Maybe, but the wedding she goes to sure is nice. Yeah, well, friends can have nice weddings. She didn't pay for it, right? But the sweater that she's wearing when she washes dishes has like, it's made out of this novelty yarn that looks like hair, but then it has patches of like Native American patterns on it. You have to go to an effort to have something that ugly. It is the the ugly sweaters of Emily. It's just... That cardigan bothers me so much. Yes. Blech. You know who goes to visit Aunt Lydia in the hospital? Tom. Tom and Scott. <laughs> oh, and they do such a good job with her bruises. She legitimately looks like an old lady who's been beaten up. Yeah, she She's does. So sad. She does. It's so sad. Boo. <laughs> 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 Never mind that when Scott... Calls Tom to say we need, there's been an accident or a shove or Howard did something else bad that Tom is sitting at the table wearing earrings. Yes. He looks so awesome in those earrings. No, no, <laughs> They no. must have been in his Christmas cracker. No, he calls him up. He calls him up to go to see oh, about that's right. Lydia yeah, that's when he's right. in bed. Yeah. The earrings are later when they go back out because uh, they Oh, because Lydia dies. Yeah. No, because Lydia is awake. Oh, that's right. And so they go to talk to her. That's right. They go to talk to her. Yeah. He's got those earrings on at the dining room table. He looks so pretty (laughs) with those earrings on. He looks so happy. He does. (laughs) Yeah, she said she was pushed. And then Tom and Scott go back to the house because now they want to see her room and they need to investigate a bit more closely, right? And of course, Jennifer doesn't believe the cops. She's just horrible. (laughs) When they go back is when we get to really see the upstairs hallway. Yeah. And it has this beautiful wallpaper. Yes, it's gorgeous. And this beautiful stained glass window. Yes. And I knew that the house where the episode was filmed was a well-known house. It's called Harbston Court. Yes. Um, and, And we talked about this at the beginning of the episode because Jennifer is like, you get a room and you get a room and you get a room and you two can't share a room because of the bonking and you get a room. No and I thought, bonking. how big is this house? Well, Harpston Court has 13 bedrooms. 13. So it's plenty big enough. More than us. For all those people. Um, but you can tell from the interior shots, they've, they've made the house look shoddy, right? So... Yeah. There's wallpaper peeling in places. The floor is rough looking. This light switch doesn't work. All that stuff. Don't plug anything into a wall like a... Well, but you don't see that, Electric right? carving knife. Yeah. <laughs> you don't see that. They make reference to it, but the, the impression is that the house is shoddy. 
And so I wanted to know whether the interior shots are actually shot in that house or whether it was a different house. Because the magazine implies it. Yeah, that it was different. No, that it was the same. It was the same. It is the same. Okay. Um, because Harpston Court has been on the market a few times since this was filmed. Well, maybe we should so, buy it. Um, it's $13 million last time I looked. Maybe we shouldn't buy it. And it's listed as a, oh, I'm sorry, $10 million, A $10 million doer-upper. A doer-upper? Yes. Queen Mary once stayed in one of the rooms. Wow. It was originally, the oldest part of the house was built in the 13th century. So this is... Nothing in this town was alive or manufactured or created in the 13th century. No, there's some rocks that were probably here then. Yeah. But the if you remember when they're in the, um, in the family room, the library, whatever you would call that formal room with the fireplace where they have the tree. Yeah. The fireplace has this really weird shape. It's almost, it's not quite an arch. It's like a peaked arch. Okay. Right? And it has no mantle. Oh. There's no ledge. No. If it's peaked like that, no. And that peak is repeated in the windows on the front of the house. Remember, it's it's got that peak. Yeah. That that is all part of Harpston Court. Okay. That window on the landing, that beautiful round stained glass window, that's actually in Harpston Court. Oh, okay. 13 bedrooms, five kitchens. Okay. Which I assume they're also including like a summer kitchen that might be in a barn or something. I guess, yeah. So the kitchen in the photos from the Architectural Digest and other places I looked, they never show that kitchen. No. But I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if that kitchen actually is in that house, if all of those rooms are in that house. Yeah. That same house was also used in Woman in Black with Daniel Radcliffe. Did you oh. ever see that? No. I think I, I watched saw. it without you. Yeah. Um, and they made it look super creeped up for that. They put a whole bunch of weeds and all kinds of stuff around it. But mm-hmm. yeah, interiors and exterior shots, all the same house. Oh. It's okay. beautiful. I'm sure the $100,000 that Aiden is going to inherit wouldn't touch it. No. It wouldn't even be enough to do the heating. No. <laughs> or the electrics. From Uncle Bob or whatever. Bart. 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 Jennifer is just convinced that when Aiden gets that money, that's what he's going to do with it. No. Is fix up that house. He's going to go. Why would he do that? To Mallorca to bonk. <laughs> bonk, 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 bonk. But, because, you know, it's not backwards. So. Yes. Barnaby's like interviews everybody, including the best interview ever, which is the one with Howard. Yes. So they interview all the other people, but then they take Howard alone, which they would never do. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, if they were going to take him into the police station, they would need a responsible adult. But if they just ask Kate and Digby, hey, is it okay if we talk to him? They're like, yeah, go ahead. Well, Kate shows the one moment of parental concern for a child when he comes out. Yeah. That is the single moment of care that she has for her own child. The only other kind of parental behavior I see from her is when Jennifer is like bossing Howard around that Kate sort of gives her a look like, how dare you talk to my kid that way? But it's it's fleeting. It's my job to talk to my kid like that. Yeah. If somebody's going to blame Howard for everything, it's going to be me. Howard, you did everything. Howard does a magic trick. Especially since they think that he admitted to murdering her. Yes. (laughs) Howard does a magic trick on Scott. And they do this really well. Yeah. He basically explains the magic trick like a magician would explain the magic trick. Mm -hmm. He does very good, right? He shows how he led Scott into the into the whole situation. And that becomes the blueprint 
that Barnaby uses to know that it was Dominic. Yeah. Later on. Because the same implanting ideas in your head and sleight of hand and misdirection yeah. are how Dominic gets away with it, right? How yeah. he pulls but it we off. don't know Dominic's a magic guy yet. No. We do know that finally they admit, oh yeah, Ferdy, this thing that nobody's <laughs> mentioned. Well, it, it's Howard that mentions it and they all look at him like, how dare you mention it? It's relevant. <laughs> I would almost think that as soon as you know it's an actual crime that has occurred, that one of the first things a constable would do is to pull any other incidents at that address. Yes. And Tom would have known about Ferdy's death before he even went there. Yeah, I would think so. Maybe not when Lydia had just fallen, but once you know she was murdered. Yeah. They would have had that rap sheet for that address. So Ferdy kills himself nine years ago. With a shotgun. Mm -hmm. And he does it because he finds out that the love of his life, Claire. Claire English. Who's his new partner, is actually a thief, a drug addict, and... A gold digger. A gold digger. And he finds that out because Jennifer claims to have hired a private detective. And Lydia backs her up saying that Claire stole an antique statue and was trying to fence it. Yes. And so he's destroyed by this. But Jennifer already didn't like her. No. When she first shows up, Jennifer completely lies to her. No. She dislikes her from the first time she sees her. And then our second favorite character appears. Wee Alfie. (laughs) Puppy Alfie is so cute. He's so cute. I don't know how anybody could dislike Claire. They picked a perfect actress to play her. She is sunny and bright and... Happy and smiles. And she's Alfie the puppy runs over to her. And she's, she's like so, sunshine in a person. How could so, you dislike her? And like later on, Dominic, when he's explaining why he's the worst human ever, says that Ferdy was hopeless and she was hopeless. But when they found each other, they were perfect for each other. And the actors and the story makes that appear right yeah. away. Yeah. So Ferdy kills himself because he's heartbroken. Yes. And then Claire kills herself after he dies because because she's heartbroken. heartbroken. It's so tragic. Yeah. And all because Jennifer. I'm telling you, worst person ever. (laughs) Worst Jennifer ever, that's for sure. (laughs) She's the worst Jennifer ever. (laughs) It's me. So Lydia dies in the hospital and... She wouldn't want to ruin Christmas, so let's go shooting. Yes. Because if you don't have blood on your hands, why are you worried? <laughs> like, gauntlet dropped. Jennifer's like, oh, I got to go See, shooting now. Bigby's like, good, because I, I really want to shoot stuff. something at that point in time. Yeah, I think he does, too. I think he knows what she's like. Yeah. And she's awfully determined. Yes. That nothing's going to bother, you know, nothing's going to ruin anything. So she ruins Christmas. Oh, absolutely. She probably ruins Constantly. every Christmas. Kate admits that she and Digby are in, in debt. Yep. By the way, an, over, grand. an overdraft of 30K is not insignificant. No. Right? In the UK, to have an overdraft is like having a running loan, yep. right? So you have to apply for it and you have to have the credit to be approved for it. And on a standard checking account, I looked this up. On a standard checking account, 
the default overdraft is like $100. Yeah. So if you go over and you run out of money, they don't bounce the check if you've got good standing with the bank. They give you like 30 days to make it right or whatever. And if it's not a prearranged overdraft, the interest can be very high. Yes. So a 30K overdraft, even prearranged, would be a significant debt. Yeah. They're in trouble. Yes. So they have motive. They do, because the only reason why they haven't sold the house is that Jennifer won't let them. But why kill Lydia? Well, we know. (laughs) Well, yes, we know, but... But why would Jennifer kill Lydia? Do you think Ross thinks that she did it? No, why would Digby and... What's her name? Kate? Yeah. Kill Lydia? Because if Lydia's not alive, then Jennifer might be more likely to sell the house. Maybe, yeah. Right. But she's pretty attached to it. So let's go shooting. Is this a Boxing Day thing? I understand that Americans don't understand Boxing Day. I get asked about it every single year by some American. What is this Boxing Day thing? In Canada, everybody goes shopping. Mm-hmm. Okay. In, the, in Britain, it's the day that you're supposed to give gifts to the people who provide service to you. Right. Like your mailman and your, your butcher or whatever. The, the bid man. Bid man. <laughs> <laughs> it's a complicated thing. As... As a non-typical American who is not a gun toter, everybody thinks we all are. I'm not. I've never touched a gun. You I've never seen a gun in, in, house. in person. We're not gun people. Not that there's anything wrong with gun no, people. No, but for me, anytime I see a gun, it's just terrifying. Yes. Right? Even in a policeman's holster, it's scary to me. Yeah. The fact that there are people in the countryside and in the U.S. and in England who have shotguns around all the time when there's not like... Animals that might attack you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there are no bears at Jennifer's house. No. Right? They don't have to protect themselves. So the fact that they're Howard, just, why'd you let the bear in? They're cleaning guns in the kitchen. Yeah, it's weird. They're like militant about <laughs> and, it. And of course, Barnaby's like, oh, folks. What the hell are you doing? I wanted to know more about shooting parties because we see them all the time in British dramas. These country house parties, shooting parties. And you might remember that when Jennifer and Digby go out to shoot, there are these kind of like posts in the ground with numbers on them. Isn't Gosford Park around a shooting party yes, too? Yes. Yeah. Oh, there, you can't name all the movies that have shooting parties in them. Yeah. I mean, Agatha Christie loved a shooting party because it gave her an opportunity for people to have dangerous weapons oh, around Poirot each other. with this little... Seat. Yeah, he's got a folding seat, his cane, which is a thing. People had those. Yeah. But when they go out to shoot, there are little numbered spots. Those are called pegs. Okay. And you're pre-assigned a peg. Yes. So you don't shoot other people. Right. So everybody has a spot and is facing the right direction. And has a, like a angle of where they can shoot. Right. There's a wedge of space in front of you that is yours. And if a bird flies into that space, it's yours to shoot. But if it's in your neighbor's space, you don't. It's so that you don't turn so much you shoot your neighbor. Well, that and everybody wants to get their own brace. Yeah. So they want an equal opportunity. So yeah. you, don't, you don't shoot a bird that's within your neighbor's range, yeah. right? So I looked up shooting party etiquette. Yes. And the leading website on shooting party etiquette yes. is Purdy. Now, you might remember Purdy because... 
That was the brand of rifles yes. we mentioned a few episodes ago, yes. talking about expensive guns. Because yes. they still do make guns, and they make shooting attire. Oh. They have this long article. It's so funny. This long article about how the etiquette around a shooting party really isn't complicated. And then it's like three pages of stuff. It's not really all that complicated at all. If you get an invitation to a shooting party and you accept it, and then you receive another invitation for the same day, even if it's a better party, you cannot accept it. But wait a minute. You can't turn down the other invitation to go to the better party. I'm going to the better one. (laughs) I want the biggest bang. When you arrive, you should bring your own gun. It should be cleaned and it should be in a bag or sleeve, right? Yes. You should bring your own ammunition. More than enough. More than you think you'll need. Well, Jennifer brings her own ammunition. Yeah. You get assigned a peg. Yeah. A numbered peg. And there's etiquette around that too. Some places they do it by random draw. It depends on the host. Yeah. Or they can be assigned and there are spots that are better than others. If you're really low on the totem pole, you might get assigned to be a walking gun. Okay. A walking gun goes with the beaters. Okay. Okay. So the beaters are in the woods on the other side of the field. I just have images of what's her name from the very first episode running along. Bella. (laughs) Bella running along with her shotgun. Exactly. So the beaters are in the woods and their job is to stir up the pheasant so they take flight as soon as they hit the edge of the field. Yeah. So pheasants will run along the ground when they're in the trees, but then when they see clear clear grass, they'll take flight, right? Yes, and this is all pheasant hunting. Yes. So the beaters rouse the birds and drive them in the direction of the shooting party. Yes. A walking gun, their job is to be with the beaters, and when they rouse the birds, any birds that fly the opposite direction, they shoot them. Okay. Why? So that they force the birds towards the shooters. Okay, shooting a bird's not going to change the direction it flies, except to make it go down. No, but it'll shoot, it'll, it'll take the other ones. The other birds will go, oh, well, if I go that way, I'll get killed. Yeah. Because they're smart like that. <laughs> birds are pretty smart, man. <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> they're like little robot dinosaurs. Yeah. They would, I, I, don't, I don't know why this role even exists, but there's also... All of this stuff around tipping the beaters and the gamekeeper, and you have to do it in cash, and you have to do it in certain denominations, and you have to do it at a certain time. And when you're driven to the shooting area, you're not supposed to speak between when you get out of the car and when you take your peg. So you're supposed to get out of the car and go to your assigned peg, and you're not supposed to speak in that time. And you're really not even supposed to speak during the shooting. It's like golf. And then there's all this thank you. At, I mean, for them to say, it's really not that complicated. It's really not that complicated. Except here is how complicated it is, right? So the guy who's standing behind Jennifer when she's shooting is probably the gamekeeper who's yeah. in charge of that thing. So they're not shooting at their own estate. No. They're somewhere else. Yeah. But Digby knows what's going on. Yes. And Jennifer, though we've maligned her repeatedly, in this episode, dies a horrible death. Oh my gosh. Her gun basically backfires into her face. She blew her face off. Yeah, which they don't have to show because there's uh, one of George's techs is conveniently kneeling next yes. to her head. And the gun is bad enough. Yeah, because it's, it's fragmented, right? Yeah. 
We we get to see George doing dishes in his marigolds. Yes. Mm-hmm. George after Christmas dishes. It's good man. Does the dishes. <laughs> and and in a better outfit than Emily's dishwashing outfit. And then basically after she gets shot, Barnaby's like, I have this all figured out now. Yeah. Because he, he figures out that Dominic's a magician. Because he sees him sitting in the chair playing with a card. But that's not actually Dominic. Of course not. That is a man by the name of John Stiles. Uh, the picture in the Midsummer magazine of John Stiles is horrific because he's with a punch. A punch puppet? Yep. Yeah. And he is a professional magician and he taught he taught everything to Howard, how he Howard does everything he teaches him and walked him through it. And he also is the hand that you see Dominic's doing hand. the card tricks. Yeah. But it's not Dominic doing the card tricks. Yeah, because Howard definitely knows how to shuffle some cards. Yeah. He knows how to hold them and deal Uh, with them. John Stiles taught him everything he knew. And then we find out that, of course, Dominic is Claire's brother. And the reason why he waited nine years is that he didn't know until like the summer, that summer, what had actually happened. Because that's when he learned that Lydia had kept a diary he gets the diary. He reads about Lydia's confession of plan, basically planning with Jennifer he to get rid have of Claire. He could asked Lydia in the seven years that they knew each other before this, a little pleading, leading question to get an idea. Why does it have to be so long between this? If they had done it, like, set, let's separate the, the suicide and this Christmas by two years. Mm-hmm. Everything would be the same. Yeah. And I think if Dominic had just confronted Lydia on her own, she would have admitted to everything. She was almost ready to admit she to She clearly it. felt horrible about it, even when, as she was doing it. It's Jennifer forced her to do it. And she felt bad. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. But he waits all that time because he's going to get his comeuppance. And Sp- Scott, I keep wanting to call him Scott. Uh, Spock. He's not <laughs> Spock. He's Scott. Scott figures out where he is and they go and talk to him and he tells everything. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, we've got Tom in the metal detector. He gets his revenge on his father-in-law. His father-in-law. Who's slurping. Who eats pudding with coins in it. So this is a tradition that I remember the first time I was introduced to it was a birthday party when I was maybe six. Mm -hmm. Went to a friend's house and the... Parents put in wax paper coins and put it in the cake batter. Mm -hmm. The idea is that everybody got a coin in your cake. Yeah. Right. And it's in wax paper so you don't accidentally eat it. A kid ate one of them (laughs) at that birthday party. Of course. I remember he ate a dime. (laughs) Yep. So we had to tear everybody's cake apart to find out what cord, what coin it was and now canadian dimes are tiny they're very small right so they're even smaller than american dimes yeah uh but tom gets his revenge so the idea is that douglas swallows the pound coin which you would know if you swallowed a pound oh my gosh yeah they're heavy they're heavy and they're thick and he lets it know that he didn't actually do this. And Tom has gotten him a metal detector. Right. And so Tom, the least handy man ever, 
Like the most handy thing we've seen Tom ever do is paint a set. Yeah. Rewires. No, he adjusts the sensitivity to something. it. Something. So that it will go off. Yeah. Of the metal detector. He's a detectorist now. Yes. Him and Toby. And he goes in and rubs it over Douglas's tummy and sets it off. And everybody is in on the joke. Joyce almost blows it. I'm like, Joyce. At least Cully figures it out <laughs> yeah. right away. And Joyce almost blows it. But then Joyce's mom gets it. And then Douglas gets it. And he gets the point from Dom. Yeah. Whoa. I got you. I got you. Before we talk about best corpses and after the credits, yeah. just one more thing that um, I think is interesting in this episode is this whole provision in Uncle Bart's will that Aiden is not allowed to smoke. Not allowed to smoke. Um, and if he doesn't smoke, then when he turns 21, he gets 100,000 pounds. Yes. Which Jennifer thinks he's going to put towards the house. It's a codicil in the will, right? It's an inheritance stipulation. Okay. Are these allowed? In legal terms, they're called dead hand control. Oh. Which makes me think of a monkey's paw or something. Yes. Right? Um, and they're, they are allowed. Okay. It's called an inheritance incentive in well, some places. Now I wonder what we should do to the children. But they're <laughs> usually like um, with the intent of ensuring the person who's going to get the money will be in a good situation to have the money. Okay. Like, you get it when you're 21, or you get it um, once you get married. Finish college. Finish college, or you have to use it for college. Yeah. That kind of stipulation. But when they're sort of overly coercive stipulations. I, I actually think my parents had one of these in their will. Now, my mom's still alive, so this doesn't go into effect. But I remember them talking about it early on that, the money that we got, if we got money from their wills, had to be used to buy a house. Right. That's an inheritance stipulation. Yeah. That's different. This dead hand control is much more coercive than that. Yeah. So I wanted to know whether they were common. They're not common yeah. because they, they get overturned in court all the time. Super easy. Right. But there have been some famous ones that make this smoking ban look like nothing. Okay. Give me some famous ones. So Heinrich Hein, who was a German poet, left all of his money to his wife, but he stipulated that she had to get remarried before she could have the money. Oh. Because, quote, then there will at least be one man to regret my death. Wow. Yeah, that's nasty, isn't it? That's from beyond the grave, man. Because mm -hmm. most of these come out during the real will reading, I would assume. Yes. Yes. Henry Budd, who was a, an American um, wealthy guy back in the 1860s, left his money to his two sons on the condition that neither of them grew a mustache. Oh. They were not allowed to have mustaches. Okay. Because he didn't like them. Aiden's okay there. There's one guy in San Antonio. Um, this is in the 90s, the 1990s. He left his wife the house and money on the condition that she smoked five cigarettes a day for the rest of her life. Well, who's going to check that? Because he was a smoker and she hated it and harped on him constantly. So she couldn't have the house and money if she didn't smoke every day. Yeah, she, she got it overturned almost yeah. immediately. Right? Super easy. And plus it's harmful to her. Yeah. There was a guy, again, in the 90s. I'll this leave is, you all my money if you hit yourself in the face with an axe. Yeah. <laughs> every day. <laughs> There was a, another guy in the 1990s in Washington, 
um, who left a provision for $500 a month to the police officer in town who gave the most traffic tickets for double parking because he hated people who double parked. Okay. But my favorite, this is my favorite. The best one. Hannah Beswick. She was an American millionaire. She died in the 1750s. She had no children. Her husband died before her. She left all of her money to her doctor, but she was terrified of being buried alive. Okay. So he could only have the money if he could prove that she was dead on an ongoing basis. Not just once, but all the time. Like how many times did he have to prove this? Enough that he wound up mummifying her. Wow. And keeping her in his house. Ooh. And every year, because it was stipulated in her will, every year a lawyer would come by and they would formally examine the mummy to make sure she was still dead. Now I want to write a different will. And if at any point, (laughs) if any year passed that he didn't do it, the money could be taken back. Oh, I so want to write a different will. (laughs) On the 1st of April, you have to wear a red nose the entire day or you don't get anything from And a lawyer is going to come by and watch you wear it all day. Yep. That's the biggest problem with these dead hand control stipulations and wills is that they usually incur such big legal fees to enforce that people get them overturned. And of course, there are strange wills that leave money to strange people. Like, yeah. you know, they leave the money to their dog or something like that. But I was looking for this dead hand control kind of provision. We can't really do best corpse the episode because we don't really see Lydia's corpse and Jennifer's corpse. I mean, I, I guess Jennifer could get worst corpse because you best, imagine what happened to the her. The best we get is Lydia's prone body. Yeah. Yeah, that's the best we get. After the credits, Ross and Kate now share the house yeah and aiden probably gets his money i'm like i'm sure he can contest that well and who in the family is going to try to stop him yes and who's like what is i think lydia had the video because she wanted to suppress it i think so too not because she wanted to stop aiden from inheriting no no. she thought it was stupid yeah i agree because that would have been her brother and i think they're happy because jennifer is not in their stupid lives anymore (laughs) Like, it's sad that Jennifer's dead. I'm sure Aiden is sad. Yeah. I'm sure Ross and Kate are sad. But otherwise, yeah, I think they probably get on the with their lives. Like, immediately. Yeah. And it gets Kate and her husband out of a hole. Right. And Ross probably gives it all to a Buddhist temple. And hopefully Emily says, wow, Aiden's kind of a dick. One would hope. You know what? Dominic goes to jail, but I think he's kind of happy. He did what he wanted to do. He did what he wanted to do. It's sad. I see. I, instead of waiting the nine years, I throw, I got a diagnosis of cancer in there. So he knows he's going to die. Yeah. And so there's a, there's a stopwatch on his yeah. revenge that he's got to do it. If he's going to do it. Inciting incident. The show has problems with it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Needs that pressure. Oh boy. Episode one of season eight. We get into full bonkers mode. What kind of bonkers? Bonking bonkers or bonk bonkers? Oh, you, <laughs> you know. All I have to tell you, okay, is there's an undertaker and a wife and a wife that goes screaming out into the night. Yes. She is the thing that goes bump in the night <laughs> with the choir master. <laughs> That's a bonk. It's a bonkers episode. It's a good one. Yep. So (laughs) aren't they all season eight, episode one, things that go bump in the night, 
our episode number 36. And that's next week. Next week. Oh, stay safe and stay healthy and stay sane. Please stay safe. Find things that you can laugh about. Yes. Be with the people that you love. Take care of yourself. We are healthy and happy. You should be too. People have been very nice asking about if we're healthy and all that good stuff. Yes. We hope you guys are too. We hope you are too. Until next week. Bye, maniacs. Bye, maniacs. High school. This is a total quick aside. Wait somebody a minute. Did I make bonk when you were in high school? <laughs> somebody asked us what bonking was in high school. So, uh, did an adult of some point. Yeah. Time. was like, hey, kids and with we your said, slang. We said watching TV with your eyes closed. 